Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you've found the place where we talk horses. Six years and well over a hundred episodes ago, I connected with Keith Swenson from halfway around the world. Keith is an American who grew up around horses. His father was a horseman and operated horse shows and rodeos on the East Coast. His mother was the secretary for the Eastern Quarter Horse Association for a few years. It's easy to say Keith was always involved with horses and the outdoors. Keith worked for the Forest Service before traveling the world holding such positions as park manager, ranger, or conservation advisor. No stranger to adventure, Keith has worked in Antarctica and New Zealand as well as the Sultanate of Oman, Sri Lanka, and Laos. He's always had that love of horses and wild places, so while in Mongolia riding the countryside, he came up with the idea of sharing this beautiful country with others. For the last 20 plus years, he and his partner have been doing that with his company, Stone Horse Expeditions. On the line from Mongolia, some 6,000 miles away and a 16-hour time difference is Keith Swenson of Stone Horse Expeditions. G'day, Keith. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing well here in Mongolia, just emerging from winter. It's good to hear your voice. It's been six years and a lot has happened around the world in this six years. It has. You know, we connected to the internet, so we're always able to watch what's happening and, you know, be up on the latest in news. So, yeah, we've been aware of all the events happening in the United States, Europe, throughout the Asia, and of course here in Mongolia. We talked back in March of 2017, and things were going pretty well for you. When COVID hit, how did that affect your, your business? I think like a lot of tourism businesses around the world uh, hit us pretty hard. It basically, 1919 was a really good year, uh, probably as we were growing. We had a lot of bookings for 2020, but by January 2020, everything just shut down. It kind of went off the cliff, and I think that happened to many people. Right. And uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Mongolia closed its borders to all incoming mm -hmm. uh, visitation, all trains you know, planes, anything coming in. Right. Uh, except to uh, expats. They were trying to get, uh, you know, some of their own citizens back, and they did that slowly over the next months. And that was actually quite a move for them. Uh, it shut down the economy, basically. So we didn't see any visitors for the next two seasons. Oh, my God. Uh, with no income for the next two seasons. And we still had horses to feed and we were able to keep our staff, our core staff employed because they have families. So we were able to draw on whatever resources we could and uh, make sure we kept people in money so they could live and uh, eat and send their kids to school and uh, take care of health concerns, whatever they needed. But uh, it was a difficult time for Mongolia. Uh, the first season, however, COVID had not entered the general population, so we were free to travel around. We did do uh, some short trips with some locals who were here, uh, expats uh, who are, are living here, but other Mongolian uh, locals. But I think by November of 2020, COVID had been able to get into the general population and spread crap, you know, uh, quite rapidly. 
So then we saw lockdowns like uh, everywhere else we're seeing, like in the US, Australia, and China, especially in uh, across Europe, three week or one month lockdowns, and they'd open up again, then it would begin spreading and they'd have a, another lockdowns. I believe we had three major lockdowns. Oh, goodness. That really uh, curtailed traffic going anywhere, getting out into the countryside or, or doing anything. So that second year was even harder. How was your health through all this? Did you? I have never gotten COVID, but all everybody else in the company has had COVID. For some reason, I'm the only one. I read somewhere that if you've got the, the Neanderthal gene is strong in you, you, you can weather COVID. So maybe I have that. <laughs> it explains a lot anyhow. So now things are kind of coming out of, of COVID. People are starting to travel uh, last year and this year. How are your bookings going now? Are people anxious to get back out and, and have an adventure? Yeah, all during that COVID time with a lot of lockdowns, uh, we kept in, you know, we tried to keep aware of what was happening with travel worldwide. And I had a lot of, uh, like many people have, a lot of Zoom calls with uh, tourism organizations uh, around the world and tried to keep up the speed about what was happening, what were the trends, what were people thinking they wanted to do when they get out of, uh, when the COVID lockdown stopped and travel resumed again. And we could see pretty clearly early on that as a small company that offered small group tours going into very pristine wild country away from large crowds, you know, on these expeditions, we were pretty well placed to accept visitors. And we were doing trips that people were looking for. Uh, they, they wanted to do these kind of things. Right. Uh, about one year ago now, uh, Mongolia opened up completely to all travel with no restrictions of any kind. People did not have to show uh, that they had vaccines or uh, any other restrictions. They could come into the country and freely travel anywhere they wanted to go. So that immediately opened up all the tours and business. And luckily, our many of our guests who had booked in 2019 stayed with us. Oh. And uh, we moved them from 2020. We didn't open up. They, they wanted to move to 2021. We didn't open, they requested to move to uh, 2022. Not everybody. Uh, we probably lost about a third of our of the bookings, which is a lot. <laughs> but about uh, two thirds of the bookings stayed with us. And uh, we were able to add more people uh, throughout the spring and the early summer of last year and throughout the summer. So we had a very good year coming out of the COVID in uh, 2022. Where do your guests come from? Are they predominantly from one country or they're, I'm sure they're from all over the world, but do you have people that travel from a particular country to Mongolia because they want to see it? Well, we have guests from all over the world. I mean, the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Europe, the UK. Singapore is a big, uh, we have a lot of people coming from Singapore, and mm -hmm. uh, Japan, Korea, Thailand. So we get people from you know, many different places. So there's not uh, there's not a concentration of Australians or Americans that come. Right. Uh, they are. We get a lot of Americans and a lot of Australians, you know, people who have gone on a number of uh, horse riding vacations or holidays and, uh, you know, looking to do something different. Yeah, we have a, a good uh, you know, clientele from these, these countries as well as uh, Singapore here in Asia. Very good. And I've heard that travel is really coming back strong uh, post-COVID, and people are out there looking for adventures and things to do. 
I don't know much about Mongolian. I don't know much about politics in general, but Mongolian politics are they an independent country in Asia? Are they they're separate from China and Russia? That is correct. They have a, a, a democratic parliament, and uh, you know they they are an emerging democracy. You could say uh, you know from the uh, years uh, prior to 1990, but they've uh, come a long way, and uh, the country is free and open to travel, free to do business, uh, and they're looking to uh, maintain that status and and uh, welcoming of international visitors. In fact, for the next three years, they want to say this is the, the next three years are the year of tourism or the, the three years of tourism, and they want to build the tourism market and uh, be a place where people are looking for holidays where they can get out to national parks, uh, see a different culture, and experience the culture, the nomadic uh, culture here. That's awesome. From looking at a globe, you can see that Mongolia is between Russia and China. They They have some political things going on there. Does that affect the way people travel into Mongolia, and is Mongolia affected by any of that? At this point, no. We have a lot of visitors coming. The country is open, uh, easy access. And from the and from Europe, people can access uh, Mongolia very easily through uh, with Turkish Airlines or other airlines, Miat, the Mongolian Airlines, coming uh, through Moscow, but also through uh, Istanbul uh, and into the country. So travel here is easy and open. Oh, good. The uh, country is seeing uh, you know visitors increasing now as spring opens up. So. Right now, everything is good, and we expect it to stay that way. Well, let's talk about some of your expeditions. Many of them are horseback, but then you also have some that are not. They're just experiencing Mongolia. Right. And I think the Gobi Desert, that's that's a non-horseback adventure. That's right. When a lot of people hear about Mongolia, one of the images that comes to mind is the, the vast deserts of Mongolia and camel pack trains riding uh, into foreign lands, uh, into mysterious areas and coming out with all kinds of exotic goods or something like that. Uh, That's from old movies. But the Gobi Desert is probably about a third of the country in the south. And uh, like deserts everywhere, it has a a wide array of different uh, landscapes and terrain, high mountains, you know, 4,000 meter mountains, get snow, uh, there's uh, valleys full of uh, trees and wildflowers. So it's a, an amazing place. And uh, the people of the Gobi, these uh, like desert dwellers everywhere, nomads everywhere, they're very hospitable because of the, uh, the way they live. They travel and uh, they accept visitors. And uh, when they travel, they uh, are accepted by visitors uh, at almost any time of day, day or night. So it's a, an interesting place. We've had a lot of work down there. We've known a lot of people uh, working in the Gobi prior to starting the company that we have now. You know, so we're well known down there. And, and uh, when people do come and do the horse rides, they're also interested in seeing another part of the country and experiencing. And so we offer these uh, a six-day Gobi tour, which is uh, you know goes from Ulmatar and returns in six days. We also offer something called the Gobi Crossing, which goes right across the Gobi and goes very deep into the desert and into uh, many places that are not many other uh, travel companies get to. Yeah. Do you lead that expedition? I don't. We will have guides do it, or uh, uh, Sabina, my partner, will will, uh, lead that expedition. What, What kind of experience is that, crossing the Gobi Desert? It's very easy to say, but I, I Gobi Desert's 
vast, if it's particularly if it takes 10 days to cross. Well, we're using uh, Toyota Land Cruisers. It seems to be the, that's the best vehicle we can use. And everything is carried by that. We, we would have maybe a, a, a Forgon, which is a, a microbus, a Russian microbus, very four-wheel drive, very robust, which would carry all the uh, camping equipment, tents, things like that. A lot of the sites that are visited would be a, a ancient uh, uh, petroglyphs, seeing some you know, uh, large sand dunes, uh, visiting with uh, and staying around uh, local herders, uh, as well as camping. Uh, doing a lot of hikes. And in the Gobi, uh, there are, is a lot of wildlife to see. There's a lot of bird life, a lot of uh, you know, gazelle, uh, ibex, and bighorn sheep. Occasionally, uh, people can, if they're lucky enough, they can spot a snow leopard. And of course, to, on the western uh, side of the Gobi, there's the uh, Gobi bear, which is a, a rare bear these days and uh, uh, difficult actually to spot. But uh, so the Gobi does have a lot of wildlife, and that's what uh, you know. Uh, our drivers who are very skilled and, and are from the Gobi, they know all these areas. You know, you camp along the way, so we have a, a great camp, uh, good food uh, as well prepared, and uh, able to do hikes and visit, see cultural sites, uh, some remote monasteries, and things like that. And then, do you get out and walk? Or is it, or is everything on a guided tour? Uh, people get out and walk. Uh, these are, they, you know, can hike up some of these uh, valleys where there's a lot of wildlife and get out and enjoy and walk up and down the sand dunes. And there is opportunity. We, we look at uh, possibly doing a, a camel ride for a day. And there are also opportunities to do a short horse ride. The horses in the Gobi are quite small. They're a little bit smaller than even horses up here in the northern part of Mongolia. And because water is so far and few between, the horse rides are not uh, long, so they will ride into a valley or something. But uh, there's opportunity to, to uh, ride horses, ride camels, do hiking along the way, visit uh, cultural sites, and, and uh, see wildlife. Yeah, very cool. I think one of your uh, longest horseback riding adventures is the... Uh, Mongolian Wilderness Conservation Adventure. You told us a little bit about that six years ago. Maybe you could cover that again. Right. We do that every year between uh, July 31st and uh, August uh, 13th. And as a conservationist, you know, we could see that some places were being a bit impacted by uh, overuse. So we uh, proposed a trip to the Hanhenti uh, Park Administration this is the Han Henty uh, Special Protected Area that we go into. We uh, would clean up some of these areas. We'd help signage. We'd help uh, do some research. This year, we're going to be looking at some, looking for some uh, butterflies, actually, that indicate whether the, the uh, health of the environment is, is good. But we've also helped bring in toilets. We put backcountry toilets in. We'd pack them in on our horses. We'd, I'd build them. Uh, we'd break them down again and then pack them on horses and bring them in. And our guests come and they uh, take part in a, a bit of conservation along the way. We meet up with uh, two or three rangers that help us. We'll rendezvous with them at a certain point. They'll join us. They'll uh, uh, help us in the work that we do. It's all been scheduled out with the park manager. The, the uh, guests can help with that for about one, two days. It's very light work, not much in the way of heavy work. But we get to, uh, they get to meet rangers. They get to see a bit of conservation work in some really beautiful country. 
and still enjoy a long ride out after that. So it's a good ride, two, three, four days to get in, mm-hmm. uh, do a few days of work, but also enjoy swimming in this nice lake, helping a bit, hiking around the area if they want. And then uh, we have about another five, six, seven days out. Well, that's, so you get to ride in, experience the area, and then you ride back out again. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they see how we pack. Uh, we're packing in different things, and how, you know how you pack a bunch of long boards on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How? Yeah. How big is that group that goes out? We can take up to eight people, but generally it's around six people, six seven people. I think this year it will be eight people. Yes. Wow. Has that anything unusual ever happened on that trip? You know, the ride in is always interesting. Uh, we've had uh, nothing, not no big mishaps or anything. You know, uh, we, we cross a lot of rivers, and I think I've mentioned this previously. So that's always an interesting thing. And I do remember one of our guests who has come with us on several trips, uh, an older fellow. He has, on uh, two of the trips he came in, we, we were going to that same area, and he was on the same horse on both trips. And on both trips, as we were crossing the river, his horse tripped on a, in a sand, a bit of roof sand on the river, and he dunked in the river. Came right off his horse and dunked in the river. And the very same thing in the very same area happened again the next year. <laughs> to the same guy? To the same guy. Oh, my gosh. Same horse, same place, same guy. Uh, of course, he's got a great sense of humor and saw the humor in that. You know, he had to just kind of walk out of the river. <laughs> but it was all sand bottom and it was a very slow flowing area. So not much. But we try to keep it safe as much as possible so there are no mishaps. We try to look at everything that's uh, going to happen. But we keep it interesting. We move along quite well. When the, when the terrain allows, we uh, move quite quickly trotting or canter so we can make a, a good distance in a short amount of time. And how are the horses doing? I, uh, we talked six years ago. You still have a pretty good string of horses? We do. We picked up a few last year as well. Uh, a couple of our horses have uh, gone to horse heaven over the years. One of the older horses that we retired. And my oldest horse this year, we have about, I think, 32 horses now. I'm going to pick up some more horses uh, uh, later in the spring and train them up and get them ready for use. Yeah, so we'll have about 36 horses. I think that's what we'll need. Do you do the training of the, of the horses? Yeah, they're all broke when we get them. They're broken to saddle. You know, I'll look for horses that are uh, good for packing and for riding and that have good disposition, they're in good shape, but they're uh, they're calm. They're not going to be they, – they move well. You, you can make them go or do anything you want, but they're, they're going to be calm horses that uh, anyone can handle, you know, from uh, a, a novice rider up to an export. I've seen some of the horses on the that do the Mongol Derby. Those horses are pretty. Uh, some of those are pretty wild. Right, right. Not horses you use. No, I would avoid horses like that. <laughs> you can get horses that are uh, very spirited and move well, but are also very easy to handle. A lot of those horses they use on those those events. I think there's several different events from different organizations that run something like that across Mongolia. They're using horses that are probably uh, not used to uh, many riders. They're not well broken in, and are probably haven't uh, you know they haven't had a rider on them for years. And right. they'll they'll grab them and uh, use those guys. I, and I think they travel you know across many kilometers, and it takes days to do the trip. 
Right. So they're using horses from different herders along the way, as far as I know. So different herders from different herds provide those horses. So uh, a lot of the horses may not know each other and react to each other in, uh, in ways that might uh, not be conducive to a novice rider. <laughs> and I've watched some of the videos of Stone Horse on YouTube, and a lot of the pack horses, well, they're not tied up to anything. They just follow along with the riders right along with them. Yeah, they do. We, we'll drag, when, as we first start a trip, leaving from there, our staging area and our cabins, we'll make sure that uh, a few of them will be let loose, but the, the ones, the characters that we know well, we'll, we'll have a lead line on them. We'll get, we'll get about one or two kilometers away, and then we'll stop and put the lead line back up on the pack and let them run free. But yeah, they, they, they do that. They know the drill. Sometimes they'll run ahead of us. Uh, sometimes they'll linger back, but they're always being watched. And when we do get into camp, they just walk right up to us and understand that uh, we're going to get the packs off now. We're in camp. They walk up to us. We put their hobbles on, take the packs off, and then let them go. And so they're they're well used to that. And uh, yeah, they just follow us around. Do you let a horse pack one trip and then carry a rider the next? Or if, it, if it's a pack horse, you just that's his job and that's what he always does? We do have pack horses that prefer being pack horses. Uh, it seems they just don't like being a rider. You know, they'll they'll actually uh, they're really good pack horses. They have their own mind. They'll stay up. They'll hang out. They'll move with the pack horses uh, along with the group. But when you put a rider on them, they just kind of become sluggish. <laughs> Especially if the rider is not a, a, a an expert rider, somebody can make a horse move. We can make them move, or a horseman can make them move. Uh, but somebody who may not be used to horse riding so much or used, used to different horses might have difficulty on them. So those horses, they become pack horses, and uh, we make sure that they we know exactly how much they can carry comfortably without putting a burden on them, and there are permanent pack horses. So we have three or four of those. But other horses uh, uh, we can use for packing and riding. This one horse I think I've mentioned previously, a horse we call Big Dirty Face, Right, he he's uh, can do both, and uh, he's a really good horse, and people really like to ride him. Now, uh, the last few years, we've only uh, designated him as a, a riding horse. We do look for at their character to see where they're best suited, and uh, it's always nice to have a horse that can do double duty. But there are horses uh, also that we don't uh, use for packing at all. Right. About the clientele, do you get people who love horses and want to ride horses are good horsemen that want to see the country? Or is a greater percentage of people, they want to see the country more and they figure that a horse is a good conveyance to do that? Uh, people that come with us really want to do horse riding. The expert riders that we get, uh, you know, the, the more experienced riders, they like a bit of a more of a spirited horse, but they do like going through the country and they want to, they've ridden probably in different areas, different Africa, Ireland, different places around the United States or Australia. Right. But they're coming just to do a nice ride and have a nice horse and go through a nice countryside, experience something new on horseback. Maybe a novice rider who doesn't, hasn't ridden so much is coming to experience the culture, but also experience something new. And, and they, they found, they've seen that, uh, you know, this might be the way that they'd like to do it and it looked interesting. So they've uh, signed up for a trip. That's what you really get to experience the culture on your rides. Which ride is it that you get to stop at the gear and visit with the locals and dine with them? Well, we do that between June and mid-September. We do that on almost every ride now. 
Oh, uh, we will uh, be camping, and then after a few nights, we'll stop at a, a remote gear camp, which is run uh, by locals, and uh, everyone will get to be able to stay, you know, get it uh, in, into a gear for the night and have a meal, you know, inside a gear. So uh, on every trip now, we, we do that. Generally, I uh, when people sign up, I don't really tell them about that. I, we, we're, they think we're going on a, an expedition, we're going to be camping, and we have very comfortable camps we set up every night. On the day we we go to the gear camp. It's a nice day. We have a ride up through this very wide open area, hillside, rock, these big rock pillars around. We'll have lunch on a ridge top with the great views all around, then follow that ridge back up and down and around to, to this, uh, through this forest and come out suddenly into this gear camp. And, you know, probably we'll get there about mid afternoon or three or four in the afternoon and uh, we can get off and people are surprised. And I say, this is camp for the night. And they, the camp staff from the uh, gear camp come out and greet us and get everybody into the gears. And they have, a, you know, a, a couple of outside tables we gather at. And uh, they uh, you can have a beer or two if you want on a nice hot summer day. Yeah. And it's pretty nice. They can get a sauna and a shower. From the outside, a gear looks like a big tent to me. Is, is, is it sectioned off in rooms? Uh, it's open on the inside. The whole thing's open. Oh, very cool. But it's uh, it's well furnished. It's very colorful on the inside, uh, and you have the you know the, the opening in the top and the, the stoves in the middle on these traditional gears. And it's very colorful, colorfully painted furniture, uh, beds, cabinets, tables, chairs, and it's this lattice work you know around the inside that that that, are, that make up the walls. So everything's. Uh, it's it's quite nice and it's quite picturesque and it's uh, just part of the uh, age-old culture here. That's the way they would make up the gears on the inside to be very colorful. You know, you mentioned earlier that some people, they'll ride in Ireland or other countries. I had a friend go to Egypt and she did an expedition there. Is the Mongolian adventures, are those for just about any level of rider who might want to experience the adventure? Uh, what we do, it, uh, they are. We can take novice riders uh, up to expert riders. You know, we have the horses for that. We make sure that. And uh, the safety equipment we use, we, you know, uh, Sabina Schmidt makes, my partner makes the, uh, she makes her own saddles, mm-hmm. stone horse saddles. Oh, and they're a cut down uh, version, uh, Western saddle that fits the Mongolian horse. And we use safety stirrups. So, it makes it a very comfortable ride and uh, something that a novice rider can you know, easily get used to. Someone with more experience uh, can easily jump in one of our saddles and get on a good horse and go. How do you know what to bring on an expedition like that? For a guest coming, of course, everyone that uh, inquires with us, I send them an ebook that I created that gives a, a clothing and a, a personal equipment list that, they, that we recommend that they uh, can bring. And if people ride or hike or camp, they probably have many of these items already at home and that, you know, they don't have to go out and buy a lot of things, but they might want to buy some specialty equipment. Uh, One thing we do uh, insist everybody has is a good rain gear because Mm -hmm. in the summertime we do get uh, the uh, afternoon thunder showers that can dump, you know, a lot of rain for an hour or two. And that that cools the, the air down pretty quickly. So we want to make sure everybody has good rain gear. Uh, when they're coming. So, and uh, we make suggestions for that in that book. Oh, very cool. So you, if people want to sign up for a trip, then they can check out the website and 
find the place where the ebook is that of all the all the things they'll need on their trip. Right, they can download the, the book uh, from the website. Oh, very cool. Well, you know, get it, and they can look at it themselves. Just and uh, yeah, find what we recommend, and if they've got that or something. I say in the ebook that make sure your everything you use is is broken in, and that you you have tested it. Uh, like with rain gear, I, I recommend getting in the shower with your rain gear on, see if it it uh, <laughs> it really works. That's it's a good a, idea. I would have never thought of that. Uh, because the rain does, it can, it can pour. When you're riding along, you've got wind blowing. Right. And uh, when this company, the rain's coming at you sideways, you want to make sure your rain gear works. Ah, uh, oh, the adventure of it all, Keith, the adventure of it all. And how far ahead do people plan for these types of adventures? Well, people are booking trips sometimes with us for up to two years in advance. Okay. But we do, you know, somebody shows up 10 days before a trip, we've got space, they're welcome to join. And how hard is it to get to the place where you begin the horse adventure? That's very easy. Uh, we pick people up at the airport on arrival. One of our drivers, Dava or Bata, who are, you know, been with us a long time. Uh-huh. Uh, they'll meet people at the uh, airport uh, with a stone horse sign. We'll bring them into a hotel in the city center so they can freshen up after travel because many are coming from long distances. The next morning, they'll be picked up after breakfast and brought up to our staging area, which is about a 90-minute drive. And then uh, we meet them there with coffee and snacks, introduce them to the horse, exchange uh, you know their gear from their luggage into their the travel gear that we use, help them uh, you know adjust the saddles and everything, get on the horse, take a little bit of a trot around to make sure everything works well. And then we'll have lunch from there. And then uh, right after lunch, uh, start for the trip and head off into the park. So we'll be uh, camping for the evening. The second night they're here, they'll be out camping. Oh, very cool. Around what time of day is sunset? During midsummer, you have daylight up until 10 o'clock. And temperatures stay pretty nice? They do. They, they cool down. The sun gets a little bit as it starts to drop. You can feel the temperature drop a bit, so you want to have a sweater, uh, you know, or a polypro jacket of some kind, mm-hmm. uh, and that's all recommended in the ebook, which makes it quite nice. It's still daylight; it's great for doing an, an evening walk or hike around the camp or you know, somewhere around the area. So you have a, a few hours to do that. Even during the daytime, when there are flies out, uh, there might be some uh, mosquitoes out or uh, horse flies, things like that. As soon as the sun drops, they all disappear. So the evenings are, are quite pleasant. Very nice. Very nice. Well, this has been great fun catching up with you, Keith. Sounds like you're doing great six years down the road. And if someone wants to to learn more about Mongolian horse expeditions, where can we send them? If you go to www.stonehorsemongolia.com, you'll find our website page. A lot of information on the, not only Mongolia, but what we do and uh, how to prepare for a trip. They can also write to us at info at uh, stonehorsemongolia.com and uh, we'll get back to them. Or they can uh, send us a message or call us on WhatsApp to 976-9999-7720. That's my personal. I I will pick that up and uh, answer the message on that. But that's how they can get a hold of us. And I was going to say, if anyone listening to Woe Podcast and, and uh, listens to this this talk today, 
I would uh, offer them a 15% discount on a 2023 season horse trip. If they if they say they've listened to you and I speak and they want to come this year, I'd say, okay, we'll uh, give you 15% off, off the, the uh, web the prices listed on the website. There you go. It pays to listen to the Wool Podcast. It does. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I didn't expect that. That's very nice of you, Keith. And I'm I'm on your website right now, and I'm looking. You've got also links on Facebook. You've got Instagram. Uh, there's even 145 reviews on TripAdvisor if people want to check you out. I enjoyed the videos that uh, you post on YouTube. I think those are fun just to see people riding horses through the countryside. And Mongolia sure looks beautiful. It is. For uh, anyone who wants a small group experience, to really get out into nature and uh, just to uh, enjoy being around like-minded people, have good conversation, we can offer that. And that's what we do, getting back into nature and uh, getting uh, away from your iPhones and right. uh, computers and uh, being a, a bit out of touch. I can imagine just connecting with that horse and riding to, through the countryside. That's got to be a beautiful experience. Yeah, well, we, I've written a blog post. And basically, it says to uh, unplug from your uh, computer and iPhone and plug into nature. Very good. Well, it's been great talking to you again, Keith. Thanks for being a part of the show. Yeah, it's been good connecting with you again. And thanks for having me on and, uh, and talking about Mongolia and what we do. That will do it for this episode. Thanks to Keith Swenson for sharing his time. Traveling the countryside of a remote country by horseback, getting to meet local people, and taking a vacation from the rest of this crazy world seems like heaven to me. If it sounds like that to you too, check out stonehorsemongolia.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Woe Podcast and you'll get 15% off. Check out their social media sites and you'll be blown away by the beauty of this country. If you have any show ideas or suggestions for future guests, reach out to me at john at woepodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Woe Podcast. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.